News24 investigations have revealed explosive details of what may have led to the assassination of whistleblower Babita Diokaran. The senior Gauteng Health Department official was gunned down in August last year in front of her home in Winchester Hills, Johannesburg. Six men were arrested and are facing trial in the South Gauteng High Court. But who was the mastermind? In a statement released this week, the office of Gauteng Premier David Makura announced that it is finally launching a forensic investigation. I'm Catherine Rice, a journalist for News24's multimedia department, and you're listening to The Story, where we'll talk to journalists and experts about the biggest story of the week. We're talking to News24 investigative journalist Jeff Wicks, whose series of articles called Silenced has prompted a reaction from those in power. Jeff, there have been some major developments in this case. The announcement that an independent forensic investigator will be appointed to investigate came on the back of your articles. Can you tell us about this probe and why you think it's taken so long? Well, about the um, latest announcement about the forensic investigator, there's still a lot we don't know. At this stage, all we've been told is that the Premier is considering appointing an independent person to essentially finish what Babita Diokran started. But this is yet to happen. And beyond that, we have no idea what the terms of reference will be for the investigation or who they'll place in charge of it. Uh, and that's important because, as we've seen, Babita Diokran entrusted very critical information to those in the management structure of the Gauteng Department of Health and nothing was done about it. So now this investigation is going to be crucial in ensuring that what she blew the whistle on three weeks before she was killed is seen to fruition. Jeff, your investigations revealed that more than 800 million rand in allegedly corrupt contracts were identified by Dio Curran. Can you tell us about those contracts and, you know, was it fairly easy to identify possible suspects? Well, I think for Babita Diokran, it was very easy to spot an anomaly in the Gauteng Department of Health spending patterns. What she saw was an extreme surge in buying out of Tembisa Hospital, and that's where that figure of 850 million rand comes from. When she looked a bit deeper, she found that there were serious discrepancies in the value of these purchase orders and the sheer volume of them. She found that 1,203 individual contracts were awarded out of the hospital in a period of months. And critically, the value of these was pegged between 400 and 500,000 rand. That is a major red flag because that's within the delegation of authority of the hospital CEO. And it prevents further rigors in terms of a public procurement process and ensures that all buying undertaken by Tembisa Hospital could be handled by their own SCM office. And what she saw was a massive spike. When we looked at the company she flagged, it was fairly simple to identify individual syndicates of key individuals who, through a number of business entities, were simultaneously billing the hospital for goods and services that um, the prices of which were massively inflated. Jeff, she did raise concerns about her safety once she decided to withhold further payments to those Tembisa hospital contractors, yet nothing was done, even though senior management was alerted. What exactly happened in the weeks leading up to her murder, and do you think it could have been prevented? So on the 12th of August, which is mere days before she was assassinated, she told her boss, Gauteng Health CFO Lorato Maggio that her life might be in danger because she stopped these payments. 
and Maggio gave her an undertaking, or a promise rather, that she had escalated her concerns not only about her safety, but about the need for an investigation into the Tembisa payments to the HOD. After we started pursuing the story, we've since learned that that was a lie. Maggio, in fact, never escalated her concerns about her safety and to date has never formally escalated her report into these possibly fraudulent transactions. It stands to reason then that if um, Lorato Maggio had taken Babita Diokran's concerns seriously, she would have been given protection and the investigation that she called for would have started in earnest. As we sit here now, we are nearly a year down the line and those payments centred on a massive amount of money, have yet to be probed fully. You published another article about Tembisa hospital boss Ashley Mtunzi, who appears to have called on his ANC connections to silence News24 investigations and reporting on the issue. What can you tell us about that and Mtunzi's alleged role in the scandal? First, I think it's important to consider Mtunzi's role in this. He's a central figure in this scandal, simply because it was under his watch that hundreds of millions of rands worth of contracts were approved and channeled to what we have now been able to prove is a network of letterbox companies, that is entities that exist only on paper. We don't make any proclamation of guilt on the part of Dr. Mtunzi, but what we do say is that it certainly requires an investigation and his cooperation with an investigation. We've been publishing these stories for several weeks, and this week we were approached through official ANC communications apparatus and by the convener of the Progressive Business Forum. And that is a very strange approach, considering it gives us a view of the proximity of Dr. Mtunzi to arms of the governing party. And... um, When we questioned them about why the communication was being um, sent our way through these official structures, they were very quick to say that they were dealing in their private capacities and as friends, but that simply doesn't wash. Well, exactly. I mean, Mtunzi remains in his post, yet the Gauteng Health Department has said action will be taken against employees found to be involved. What do you make of that? It just doesn't seem to make sense. Well, the Gauteng Health Department has been saying for weeks since we started publishing these stories that severe action will be taken against staff who are implicated and can be proven guilty as having played a role in the scandal. But that, as we sit, is lip service because um, Lorato Maggio remains the CFO and Dr. Mtunzi remains as the hospital CEO. We've seen very little by way of consequences, at least that they'll tell us about, coming from the Gauteng Department of Health for those people in their uppermost management structures um, who have been shown wanting by our reportage. Do you think there's a a danger of political interference in this case? I mean, do you think that is a key component of this case? I mean, it's likely that politicians were involved in the network and are political allies now being called on to quell these investigations. I think political interference has been a trope um, that's been present throughout the coverage of this from the time when Babita first blew the whistle Remember, she reported this to Lorato Maggio and also raised concerns about companies owned by a prominent ANC politician. And Babita's intention of stopping the payments were actually overruled by Lorato Maggio, who said that she hated dealing with politicians, indicating that the owner of this company was known to her. So political influence has played a role from the very beginning, and I think there's been an extreme lack of political will in terms of following through her recommendations for a detailed investigation and a stop to a payment. There's a reason for that, and that's yet to reveal itself.
Jeff, you've also requested documents filed in terms of the Promotion of Access to Information Act, but your request has been denied. What are the documents the News24 Investigations team is after, and are there any other avenues available for you to get your hands on them? So we're looking for documents that will paint a picture of whether or not any of the companies that Babita Geokaran flagged continue to do business with the state and how much they've been paid since her murder. And that's critical for us. Um, We requested these through PIA legislation and we were automatically refused and we've since lodged an appeal. But um, our readers can take heart that if we were able to get 60,000 internal Department of Health emails, it's only a matter of time before we get what we're looking for. You also spoke about in your article some of the companies you actually tracked down their addresses. Um, Could you tell us a bit about that and how these were actually fake addresses? Absolutely. So um, over the past couple of weeks, we've shone a light on what appeared to be a complex web of letterbox companies. That is entities which exist only on paper and with a bank account through which money can be channeled to them. And key in this is giving an impression that the businesses are legitimate. So when they're registered with the CIPC, they provide an address. And so far, we have visited business addresses of approximately 40 companies, none of which have been legitimate. We visited an address of a a company in Nigel last week, which turned out to be a disused shed. Um, Others have been linked to churches and creches completely unrelated to what should be offices or warehouse space for medical supply companies. And that just tells us we're on the right track. Uh, Jeff, you also tracked down some of those or tried to track down the couple who, who started these companies or at least five of these companies. Can you tell us about those two individuals and and what you've been able to find out about, about them? So they've become a singular case study in what is obviously a larger network. This is Christine and Avikash Signorain, who each registered five companies and all 10 of these companies were trading simultaneously with the hospital. Through these firms and the contracts which were awarded to them, they extracted 30 million rand in the space of a month or five weeks. And that's an outrageous amount of spending, especially when you consider these companies don't have office spaces, they don't have any front-facing social media presence and uh, use Gmail and Yahoo addresses to correspond. Beyond that, we know that Avikash Signorain managed to hold down a full-time job as a sound engineer for a very prominent recording label in Johannesburg. And he was hailed as a hard worker and a committed employee. So essentially what that means is that by day he was doing his normal job and by night he was running an empire of medical supply businesses, which along with his wife did a number of deals with Tembisa Hospital, which we've also revealed are fundamentally illegal because they were trading in medical devices without the requisite licenses. And that's got two consequences. Number one, it's a criminal offence. And number two, All that expenditure out of Tembisa Hospital is technically considered wasteful and irregular expenditure because state entities are bound to only trade with licensed agents. So, Jeff, did you you manage to track them down personally? Were you able to talk to them at all? I made my best effort to reach them. Um, I visited their places of work and we visited their relatives in Phoenix, in Durban, as well as um, an old address for them in Lotus Gardens in Pretoria. And despite our exhausted efforts, both via phone and by actually going out and trying to find them, they managed to evade us. And, you know, for me, that's instructive because if... uh, 
a legitimate businessman was approached by a journalist making damning allegations, their first point of call would be to rebut them and prove that journalist wrong. Instead, we know that they've received our questions and our allegations and they've said nothing. And the same goes for a lot of the officials you've approached as well. Um, Have you been hitting walls there too? Well, I think the most significant wall that's worth mentioning is the Department of Health's communication strategy. Early on, they closed rank and decided that they would not provide a running commentary on the allegations we put to them because it's the subject of a police investigation. But that too doesn't wash. This has got nothing to do with the police investigation. This is an internal procurement process that needs immediate scrutiny from a forensic investigator. And I think what underscores that is the fact that no further arrests have been made in the past year. Bearing in mind, the only people who were arrested um, were placed in handcuffs within three days of the murder. And since then, it's been crickets. And so we know closer to actually finding out who that mastermind or paymaster could be. Well, if the police are hot on his his or her heels, they're not telling us about it. Well, let's hope we are able to dig out more of that story. And thank you so much for your work and the investigations team. That was News24 investigative journalist Jeff Wicks. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join us again next week for the story.